Welcome to At The Core, the intersection between neuroscience and fitness, where I have the joy and honor to speak to high performance movers across many different fields and better understand how they use their brain, how they apply neuroscience drills to better themselves in their performance. Today's special guest is Jocelyn Snow. Jocelyn Snow has been riding for over 38 years and has traveled by motorcycle all over the world. She is a BMW International GS Trophy competitor, as well as a certified BMW International off-road instructor. Jocelyn has, a participa in, has participated in the International GS Trophy in Mongolia, competing with her all-female team head-to-head -head against the men. Having owned well over 40 motorcycles, she has competed in all types of motorcycle racing, such as flat track, supermoto, motocross, drag racing, hair scrambles, enduro, and even an impressive stint as the only, at the time, professional female rider on the AMA 250 GP circuit. Jocelyn not only rides, but she also enjoys turning the wrench too, having worked as chief mechanic assisting the team to a national championship. She continuously works with manufacturers to research, design, and develop safe motorcycle riding gear. Jocelyn is constantly striving to be a positive role model and inspire new and existing riders to adventure and explore the world by motorcycle and discover the love of motorcycling. Welcome, Jocelyn, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So let's start. We're really talking about adventure riding. And so a true adventure rider is prepared to ride all types of terrain and in all weather conditions, which is a unique skill among motorcycle riders. Can you explain adventure riding to the, those that are unknown to riding? Sure, absolutely. You kind of hit it on the head. It's, you know, when adventure happens, when everything goes wrong, that's the type of adventure riding. So motorcycling, we have street bikes, which are generally primarily for street riding. We have dirt bikes, which for off-road. Um, we have cruiser motorcycles, which you'll see cruising the highway. You know, I'm kind of stereotyping a little bit, but for the most part. Um, an adventure motorcycle is unique in that it can do almost all those things. So whether you're wanting to ride on the highway or find some back roads, curvy back roads in the mountains, and then you see a dirt road, if you want to venture off the dirt road, um, maybe even a, what we call a single track, like a tight trail and even technical terrain, rocks and trees down and mud, sand and such. So what I like about adventure riding is it, kind of like allows you to do anything you don't you don't get told no you know if you if you happen to be on a back road somewhere and you just you see a neat trail and you want to go explore and kind of ride out to some lake it's it's just really great and the bikes are they're big bikes most generally an adventure motorcycle the one, the one i have weighs about 550 pounds it's uh 1250 cc's it's the size of the motor and 
you'll typically see an adventure motorcycle with what they call pannier boxes, like the big metal boxes or soft bags loaded up with camping equipment and food and clothes and everything that you would need to go and explore an adventure. That's amazing. So when we talk about this, as I hear about it, you know, you're talking about potentially being alone or in a group, but away from easy access hospitals, potentially having big bikes, lots of stuff on it. In the neuroscience community, we often discuss that the biggest threat to the brain is falling and thus having a proper fall practice is critical. And I am, I can only imagine that this is a big part of adventure riding, not just because you have a big bike and that you're out in the boonies, but that falling is potentially more possible under these different terrains. What was the first experience in adventure riding you had? How do you keep getting up and dusting yourself off? How do you teach others to have good fall practice? Absolutely. And, and fall practice is very important on these because it's not a matter of if you're going to go down. It's just, it's a matter of when and how often, especially off-road with all that gear um, and, you know, the challenging technical terrain, the bike's going to go over and you have to be able to pick it back up and get, you know, the frame of mind that I'm going to keep going and I'm going to push on and I'm not going to stop. Maybe you're by yourself, maybe you're with a friend. Um, it's, it's, it's really important to, to know how to, to crash, I guess, and, and get back up. When I first decided I wanted to get into adventure motorcycling, I had been riding motorcycles for like 30 years or more. And this type of motorcycle really intrigued me, but it was so huge. You know, I, I can't touch the ground on it. Um, sitting on the seat, my feet don't reach the ground and it's extremely heavy and it's really, it's one of the biggest, more bulky motorcycles. So why would anybody want to ride them? Well, because I had ridden every other type of motorcycle, you know, and done every other type of motorsports and motorcycling. And uh, one day I just came by this trade show and I, it was a motorcycle trade show type thing. And I, I saw this bike and I'm like, wow, look at this thing. And it was this beautiful adventure bike. They had it in the booth on the kickstand and it had all the boxes on it with all the stuff kind of packed to, to simulate, you know, a, a big, cool adventure. And I asked uh, the guy, the gentleman from the booth, like, can I sit on this thing? He's like, absolutely. And I threw a leg over it and my feet were dangling like, you know, 12, 14 inches from the floor. And <laughs> I was like, geez, I, I tried to get it off the kickstand. I couldn't even upright the bike. I couldn't get off the kickstand. And, you know, and then the typical, he kind of looked down at me and said, you know, it's kind of a little bit of too much bike for you, maybe a little, little tall. And, you know, I'm only five foot one and a half. So that, you know, that breaks all the rules at the time. You just really didn't see shorter people riding these bikes. And I went away like defeated. And I was sad because I don't know, I've always had this attitude in my life, like no one's going to tell me no. And if they do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it great. <laughs> and so some time passed and it, I don't know, it kind of ate at me like, oh, man, that, that was great. And this is something that I just, I feel like I can't do. And one night I was just laying in bed and flipping through my phone, you know, looking at social media. And I saw this video came up of a 12 year old boy at the time with one arm he had lost his arm and he was golfing at a pro level wow and that inspired me i was like what how is this kid first of all he's 
very, very, very young, and he's golfing at, at the adult pro level, and he has one arm. And I, I watched the video, and I just was so amazed, and I thought, well, what, what's my handicap? I'm just short, so what's stopping me? And usually, you know, when you watch a video, when it ends, something else prompts up. So the next video was a violinist and she had a prosthetic arm and she was playing in a symphony, you know, this big orchestra. And I was just like, what? Why, why do we limit ourselves when it's not necessary? Believe it or not, the next morning I woke up pretty inspired and uh, I went and, and bought this giant bike <laughs> because I wanted to take a month long trip to Alaska and I wanted to see the world and see people and see new things. And this is the type of motorcycle that would do it. It's comfortable, it's reliable, uh, it can handle all types of terrain. I can pack everything that I need on the bike um, and it's set up for the right, I can put the right tires on there that can provide more traction off road. It was just the best of everything, you know, the heated grips and things like that. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's how it all started. And when I when I first got the bike, um, it was it was interesting because I was really intimidated. I was scared, to be honest. Um, and I'm not afraid of much, but I was pretty afraid of this bike. Uh, I remember opening up the garage door after I'd gone at home like the next morning and I looked at this thing and they're really wide. This was a 1200 adventure model, um, which was super, super wide. And I thought, what have I done? It just spent like $25,000 on this giant bike. I can't even touch the ground. What am I doing? Um, and then it started. I went out and I rode a very smooth graded dirt road and I was white knuckle the whole time, super scared. Um, and eventually uh, I got enough courage to do that Alaska trip, which was 30 days and 12,000 miles. And I mean, it, it was, it was amazing. What, the whole trip, the whole adventure, everything that happened. And yeah, I tipped the bike over and had to figure out how to pick it up and on and on and on. And um, after that trip, I was talking to some friends and they said, I think I got the hang of this adventure motorcycle. This is amazing. Like, uh, I love this bike, you know? And they said, well, you should try out for the GS Trophy. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And they said, well, it's a, it's kind of like the Olympics of motorcycles. So uh, BMW Motorrad puts it on every other year and all the participating countries put together a team of three riders, mostly all men. And they go to some country out in the middle of nowhere and compete. And I say, yeah, well, that's way over my head. I just, just, just got this bike and I'm trying to figure it out. And they said, oh yeah, no problem. It's only the second year that women have been allowed. I said, wait, 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 what? <laughs> and there was my inspiration, like, hold on. He said, yeah, you know, the last trophy was the first year women were allowed to participate. And it was under different circumstances. And this next year, they'll be competing in Mongolia. And it will be head to head against the men equally. So yeah, kind of had to, right? <laughs> and you know what, you're asked me to tell you about my first experience adventure riding. And this is, even though this is a few months after I purchased the bike, this is really the first experience 
I decided that I was going to compete and I only had a, a couple of months to prepare for this type of riding. And so I built myself a little training facility in an empty field and I practiced every single day after work until it was pitch black at night. And I practiced every weekend all day. I ate my breakfast, lunch, and dinner out there. And I wanted to talk to you about that actually. So okay. as we go as we go into that, when I when I Googled your name and typed in Jocelyn, okay. it auto-corrected, it auto-completed Jocelyn Snow Height. Oh, <laughs> and, and I, I see that this is like something that people are just like you found inspiration from the violinist and from the golfer. A lot of people are finding inspiration from you in the motorcycle community and and beyond. And you can't put your feet down, as you said, and it weighs potentially five times more than you do. And yet you are incredibly graceful and stable and capable. And it didn't start that way. Oh, no. So there is this approach you take. And I wanted to break this down for those listening of the CAB, the CAB approach of confidence, attitude, and balance. And you were starting to go into that confidence aspect of practice and consistency. So neurologically, we say that the best way to build confidence is through reduced threat and predictability, reducing the things that we don't know are going to happen and things like that. So how did you go as you as you get going for this GS trophy and you are deciding to commit? How do you build your confidence? Yeah, perfect. So what happened is right off the bat, I was tipping the bike over, over and over and over and over. And I was getting pretty frustrated. Um, so somewhere within me, I had to reach deep and dig out attitude, right? And I kept telling myself, you know, it's a heavy bike, but it's an excuse to say, oh, I can't touch the ground. Oh, this bike is so heavy. Oh, you know, I don't have an excuse anymore. Here was this kid again, golfing with one hand, one arm. What is my excuse? So I told myself I needed to have the right attitude, which was going to be never give up, pick this thing up and keep going. And when the bike is in balance, it doesn't weigh a thing. So it doesn't really matter if I can't touch the ground. And I started to develop just as the little boy and the violinist had, I started to develop my way of doing things. So these motorcycles are typically for, you know, large, the, the typical rider, you know, stereotype, mm -hmm. I guess, is the large giant man, you know, that's super tall. And I was kind of breaking that mold by being so small. So I started to develop my way to get it off the kickstand my way to balance the bike, my way to get slide off the seat and get one foot down and just not worry about the one foot down. And slowly I started picking up the bike less, which built my confidence up. And that didn't come without having a good attitude and a strong attitude and keeping it in balance. And then of course it's C-A-B, but then after that comes uh, the D, which is determination. You really have to want it. And yeah, I was, I was able to just break the rules and it got easier and easier for me. And it, it got to the point where, you know, riding that motorcycle over any obstacle wasn't really a problem. And I was always confident and um, 
wasn't intimidated anymore. And that's when I decided I need I needed to share that with people. And so I got certified as a coach and started developing my ways to kind of teach people how to think differently. It's a story that I hear all the time is, all right, I got this motorcycle because I want to be like all these people on social media that are traveling the world. And but <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't ride this thing. You know, I, I keep tipping it over and I, I can't even pull it out of the garage. I can't even move it out of a parking spot. I don't even know. How do you get it off the kickstand? I, I can't even figure this out. And I remember like I was there, you know, um, and so I developed this way to kind of, well, let me put it this way. A lot of off-road adventure motorcycling schools focus on the fundamentals, mm -hmm. you know, you're doing your turning and how to, how to, you know, properly execute a turn and braking and accelerating. And I figure by the time somebody comes to me, they, they already know that. And what they need is I work on what's between the ears. It's really all your mind. And so from the moment they arrive Saturday morning, it's a two day class. We start messing with their mind, if you will. <laughs> and so when we talk about messing with the mind, <laughs> changing that attitude. Do you find that everyone coming to you shares a similar mental resilience, attitude, desire for adventure? Or do you notice that it changes and evolves and some people walking in thought they had that and other people never thinking they had it build that? I'd say it's a little bit more of a variety. A lot of people that come to me are frustrated. You know, they, they saw this great picture of people traveling the world on these bikes and they're having a difficult time figuring it out. Um, some people come, you know, and, and they, they have that like, so it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this no matter what. And I I've already been dumping my bike and I'm picking it up and I'm going to figure out how to do it. I want you to make me better. Um, but I would say, I would say most of the clients that show up there, frustrated and frankly they're scared and they want to know what this magic potion is that i drank that made it so i can ride this thing and yes i get females that are shorter my size you know what have you sure but i also get you know male riders that are you know six and a half feet tall <laughs> you know and they have the same problem like i don't get it if you can do it i could do it you know amazing so when we when we go into the balance aspect of things vision is uh, when we talk about neuroscience vision is on that top of the pyramid and there's a common saying of where your eyes go your body will follow but like yoda and mr miyagi you have been known to blindfold yourself and riders during trainings and take away that visual system how do you both use vision and encourage not completely depending on vision for writing? So in the, in the motorcycle community, a saying that everyone has said at one point or another is, you know, where you look is where you go on a motorcycle every time, whether you're carving canyons or road racing on a closed circuit track or adventure motorcycle riding off road. If you see a big rock and you look at that rock, the bike goes right for it. 
whether it's a rock, a rut, anything you don't want to hit. It's, it's amazing how much your eyes pull the bike to where it's going. But I also believe there's a lot of senses involved, you know, that, that we don't pay attention to because they, they see the rock, they get scared, they grab the white knuckles on the handlebars. Now the bike can't even really be maneuvered. They stop breathing and that we can talk about breathing. That's a big mm -hmm. one. Um, so the, the very first exercise I do, and I believe I'm the only school that does this, <laughs> um, I line them up uh, in a big wide field and at the other end of the field is a cone and I give them a pair of goggles, you know, got like the little eye protection, right? And I say, just go ahead and put these on and uh, you're just gonna ride over to the cone, maybe like 500 yards or so. And they take the goggles and they look down and they're black. They're not, you cannot see through them. They're blindfold goggles, so they are. And they look back at me and they go, no way. Immediately, they are so scared. We haven't even started. This is the first drill. This is the first on the bike drill, you know. Um, I do that for a few reasons. One, it helps them trust me because I, I can't let them crash into anything, right? So I have a little air horn and I run alongside them just to make sure that they're doing well. And when the exercise is over, they it builds trust in me as a coach. And it seems like some of the other things I ask them to do, which are almost always outside of their comfort zone, they're more willing to, okay, all right, she she says I should try it, I'm gonna try it. Um, the other thing, when I when they put the goggles on, it's pitch black and I tell them, now close your eyes because if you close your eyes, your mind is not freaking out because you're closing your eyes. If I take like a sweatshirt, a black sweatshirt and I throw it over your head and I tie it in a knot, okay, panic sets in. Right, so I took your vision away, but you close your eyes. Now you're in control. And now I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the wind chimes over here. I want you to listen to the flags blowing in the wind. I want you to feel which way is the wind blowing? Where is it coming from? Because on the motorcycle, as soon as you start moving forward, you, we, we ride standing on the pegs, standing up. So as soon as they stand up, the bars slightly move and they cannot tell where straight is anymore. Some of the riders take like a 90 degree turn to the left or the right it's, and they think they're going straight, but they're not. Um, so with a little bit of practice, usually by, I mean, sometimes the very first run, they don't even get moving like two or three inches and they just tip over. And, and no one likes doing this exercise. They're always so scared at first, but by the third run, they are riding in a perfectly straight line, very, very close, if not right at the target. And what happens when they peel these goggles off and they see it, they get ecstatic, like, this is amazing. I can't believe I did this. It's so cool. And I can use that. And I can say, you know, later when they get frustrated later in the day, if we're working on something bigger and better, I say, hey, you already showed me that you can ride this motorcycle blindfolded. So what I'm asking you to do isn't such a big deal. You know, yeah. Like that. It's that priming. It's almost it's almost that priming that brain for saying, I'm going to ask you to do something so extraordinary that the ordinary is so mundane and simple. 
Exactly. Even exactly. though ordinary was already extraordinary six seconds ago. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, it also shows them that, yes, it's very important to look where you go. But it can also show them that sometimes when you look, when you panic and we look at the things we don't want to look at, doesn't, you know, it, you don't need to. You can just kind of close your eyes, take a deep breath. Get yourself kind of centered, find your confidence, believe you could do it, and then go again. Um, and I've had students, you know, reach out and they say, I've been, you know, practicing riding blindfold, of course, with somebody around, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> it's changed my riding and it, I just, it, it really helps my confidence and thank you. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit odd, but. Well, I, think, I think it's wonderful. I think it goes to show how the brain actually works and and that you know yes motorcycle riding like many other things we talk about on this podcast do require skills but ultimately it's the mental aspect of it it's the it's the confidence it's the attitude it's the how we in our nervous system respond to those types of things and one of the things you mentioned was breathing so we talk about 25 to 30 percent of our oxygen supply goes to brain function and I'm pretty sure it's probably upwards of 50%, if more, in your sessions because of how much you are challenging them. And we know that loading cognition can increase the amount of oxygen you're using for brain function up to 70 plus percent. So when we are focused on a new skill and people tend to hold their breath. Yes. And they tend to shorten their breath or, or have shorter breaths. Are there times and are there techniques that you recommend for breathing on motorcycles? Yes. And so let me back up and kind of tell you how I discovered this. Um, I caught myself getting very fatigued while riding. I would Maybe I would go over what we call riffraff, which would be some super technical terrain and get to the other side and I'm like <sighs> panting, but it really was only about eight feet long as far as the riffraff. It only took a second. Why am I exhausted? And then what happens is in an, if you're adventure riding, there's always something else down the trail. And if I'm panting and exhausted, the next obstacle becomes more difficult. And eventually I could fall or get hurt, right? So the very one of the very first things I do before we even get on the motorcycle, before the blindfold, is I have them in their gear and I bring them out in the yard and I put a quarter and a nickel down on the ground. And they just, they look at me like, what? And I tell them, okay, so now what I'd like for you to do is I'd like you to bend over, turn the quarter from heads to tails, pick up the nickel, stand up, and then go back down and put the nickel back down. So they're like, okay, this must be like a follow direction exercise or something. And mm -hmm. they, and they, and they're, they're in their motorcycle gear. So there's an exertion there, you know, they reach down, they do everything I'm saying, and they're holding their breath the whole time. Every time this is 100% of the time, male, female, a group class, a solo class, private class, doesn't matter. They always do it. And they stand up and they're, they're kind of panting. And I'm like, okay. So we're going to talk about now how you held your breath. And they just think, like, oh, I did. And I tell them, 
when we're riding motorcycles, it is so important that you breathe because as soon as you hold your breath, which we always seem to do when we're concentrating and exerting ourselves at the same time, we hold our breath on the trail, then our grips on the handlebars become tighter. And I refer to them as screwdriver grip and a hammer grip. Screwdriver is the precision tool, the hammer's for bashing. When they grab the hammer grip, their elbows drop, their head drops. Everything drops when you grab straight hammers. Their knuckles turn white. The bike doesn't uh, respond and is very difficult to steer and maneuver. The throttle, which runs the gas on the right side, it's very difficult to modulate the throttle and their, their throttle ends up going, man, woo, you know, what, all the way on or all the way off. And on the other side, they have a clutch like we do in a car. And when they're trying to modulate the clutch, you really need a soft grip. But when they're panicked and they're not breathing, the clutch is either too far in, too far out, thus causes the problem. And I tell them, I go, you know, while you're at your house or back at the hotel tonight, I want you to think, you know, if you reach over to pick up the soap in the shower or you reach up in the cupboard to pull down a coffee mug, you know, you're trying to get the right mug and not drop it, you know, things like that. I want you to pay attention to when you're holding your breath, if you're going to put your shoe on and things like that. And they usually come back the next day saying, you won't believe this. I, I hold my breath all the time. And, and I say, yeah. And all you're going to hear me say for the next two days is, breathe because it's gotten to the point where I can watch a rider on their motorcycle in all their gear, riding the motorcycle, maybe 30 feet from me. And I can tell when they hold their breath, I could tell by the way their shoulders move, their elbows, everything that's happening, that they're holding their breath. And then I'll holler out to them, breathe. And then they nod their head like, Oh gosh, right, right. I forgot. I have to breathe through this thing. Um, so the exercises, like you asked, um, I actually tell them, you need to practice in, in small things first. So everything you do around the house, be mindful of, oh, am I holding my breath? And when you find yourself panting or like, okay, it's because of that whole thing you just did, you held your breath, which affects our motor skills, which affects our mind, which affects what we're trying to do. And when you're operating a 550 pound motorcycle over technical terrain and you're holding your breath, your mind is just like, get me out of the situation. Like I'm right. panicking, I'm not breathing and I can't even tell what, what I need to do right here. So that's yeah. amazing. So let's talk visualization and visual cues because okay. I know that you're big on those. And last month's guest, Tuck Taylor, explained with imagination and visualization techniques, you can actually prime your physiology because the neurons are still firing in the brain, even though you are not physically moving. Right. And how do you use visualization? Let's go into visualization first. Okay. How do you use visualization techniques for a writer when they're not actually moving the motorcycle? Okay, perfect. Um, so I had also had some motorcycle training. And what I was finding is I would come back from a weekend of training and maybe I would only remember a few things. You know, there's it's a lot going on throughout the weekend and a couple of things maybe stuck in my head. But when, as soon as I got on the motorcycle, it's all out the window because now I'm panicking or I'm concentrating on what's going on and what's coming up. So I decided I needed to find a way to really like 
burn that into the writer, like completely just stamp it so that something happens and it triggers that memory. So the very first day, again, before we even get on the motorcycle, we, we, we did the, the quarter and the nickel, the breathing exercise. And then I hand them each a stick. It's a dowel um, about, let's say three feet, three and a half, almost four feet long, about one inch, three quarters of an inch in diameter. Kind of like three quarters of a broom handle almost. And I have them stand the dowel on two fingers. So it's up in the air like a circus balancing act. And I have them stare at the two fingers where the dowel is balancing and don't take their eyes off their two fingers and try to balance this dowel. And, and they can't, they can't I mean, they, for a second, maybe half a second, maybe two seconds, but that's not really possible. And the, the dowel is, keeps falling, falling, falling. That's great, no problem. And what I am illustrating here is looking ahead. So when you're off-road, riding these motorcycles, a lot of riders, as their confidence goes away, they tend to drop their vision to in front of the motorcycle, like right in front of the front tire. And when that happens, they're reacting to stuff that they're seeing, but it's too late. By the time they react, mm -hmm. they've already ridden over it. And so what they're doing is they're causing themselves to get off balance. And then another, let's say, like a rock or a rut or a bump or something comes up and they try to react to that, but it's already happened. And then they're, you know, reacting too late and they completely get themselves off balance. So now they're holding their breath and it kind of, it's just this big process. So once they realize they can't balance this dowel, I tell them, okay, now I want you to do the same exact thing. Set the dowel in the two fingers, but this time look all the way up at the top of the dowel. Don't look at your hand, just look up and stare at that dowel. And all of a sudden I have a circus act because everybody's balancing this dowel for a long time and their faces just go <gasps> like, wait. And I tell them, I said, that's because when you're looking at your two fingers, you're trying to react, balance, rebalance what's happening all the way up at the top and it's working its way down the dowel. And when you're trying to react, it's almost like uh, overcompensating, yeah. causing it to crash. And they just, their eyes go mega. So when I tell you from now on how important it is to look ahead, you're gonna remember this dowel. When I'm gonna say, hey, remember the dowel? And your eyes will come up and everything will be easier for you to manage. And then I'll explain, imagine a waitress, she has a cup of coffee and it's way too full to the brim. And she's gotta get it all the way over across the restaurant to that table. If she looks at the coffee cup. It's spilling, 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 spilling all the way to the table. But if she takes a breath and looks all the way to the table and just walks, most of the time that coffee stays in the cup. And I explain that to them. Like, oh, they just get this big, like, I get it. I get it. You know, we have um, uh, more visuals. We have a, a tire and I, throw this tire, it's a motorcycle tire, and I just throw it on the ground. And I explain to them what taking a picture is about. I tell them, you know, have you ever gone on a long motorcycle ride, sometimes maybe like a hike or something all day long, and you go home at night, you lay in bed, and you close your eyes, 
and you start seeing that trail in your mind, you start seeing all the little trees and the roots and everything that you had done and maybe some new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I see trails. I see trails at night and it's okay. That's because all day long while you were writing, your brain took in all that information. It knew everything that was out there, but you only remember and can process so much. Mm -hmm. And by the time you're done and you're relaxing and closing your eyes, you're seeing trails because your brain's just like, it's like downloading. Hey, can I get all this out of my brain right now? And so I said, one of the important thing is to take a picture because let's say you're going to take this motorcycle and you're going to turn slowly, very sharp. So we're doing off-road balancing. Maybe you're going down a very narrow road, dirt road, and you have to turn around. So very slow, you need to turn your head completely around behind you because where you look is where you go, right? Turn the bars and don't look at anything except where you want to go, which is behind you. Well, that's very difficult because what do people want to do? They want to keep darting their eyes back to the tree and the rut and the side of the road and my buddy on his bike and that and the other. And when, every time they dart their eyes, the handlebars open up and the turn radius becomes bigger wider, wider, and wider. So I tell them in this class, you're going to take a picture, meaning when you're starting to turn your bike really tight, I'm going to tell you, you don't need to look at the orange cone or the log or any of this stuff here. Nothing's going to move. I'm not going to move it on you. So your brain already knows what's there. Don't look at it again and trust yourself and make your eyes turn all the way over your shoulder and don't look back and trust yourself and breathe and look and make your, and the bike goes in this really tight circle. So this, they're looking at this tire and I said, so this is what we're going to do. I stand about, oh, four or five feet, five feet probably away from the tire. And I close my eyes and I tell them, <laughs> I already took a picture. I know there's a tire there. I know what's around. It's a gravel driveway. I know the trees and everything. And I am now going to walk forward and I'm going to step into the tire and keep walking forward. And so I close my eyes and I walk forward and I step one foot inside the tire and keep walking as if there was no tire there. And I actually, I learned this while training at country tracks in South Africa. And I thought it was such a, such a great idea. So I said, the first time I want you to just take a picture, meaning look at it, know what's around it, remember it, then look up look ahead, look, you know, 500 yards ahead of you and use your peripheral and just go ahead and walk and step through the tire. And, and they do. And they're like, okay, okay. And some people don't and they trip, you know, trip and stumble a little bit over the tire. And I, I stop them and I say, it's because you don't believe in yourself. You don't believe you need to trust. You trust me. I believe in you. You need to believe in you because a lot of times they're, they're very apprehensive. Like, no, no, you got this. Believe it. Your brain can do this. You have to trust yourself. And then they'll go back. And eventually we get to the point where they close their eyes and they walk straight through the tire. No problem. They, they actually even step up and step into it. Like they know it's there and it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So then I tell them, okay, so from now on, you know, when I say, take a picture, where are you looking? You'll know that you don't need to keep darting your eyes over here at this orange cone. It's not going to get legs and move around on you. It's staying right where it is. So, and we do several more that, exercises. That's so amazing. I, I know you must have 
thousands of things <laughs> yeah, for everything from throttle to braking to God knows. Uh, and I really appreciate you breaking some of these down because I think that's what makes the difference. And you touched on so many aspects of neuro concepts of peripheral vision training and balance and mental fortitude and so many things, Jocelyn, I can't thank you enough. I wanted to go into a quick round fire. I do this same list on every guest and it's going to be the first thing that comes to mind for you. Okay. So working out morning, afternoon, or night? Night. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Planks or squats? Squats. Shoes or barefoot? Shoes. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Music or silence? Hmm. Silence. <laughs> Heat or cold? Heat. Inside or outside? Inside. Jasmine or peppermint? Peppermint. Spontaneous or planned? Spontaneous. Learn something new or perfect something known? Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> I have to say, so, you know, there's one more thing I wanted to mention with this is sure. if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Correct. And your brain pays attention to the novel. And clearly you are throwing things at the people coming to your courses, the people you work with with novel ways to think, novel ways to react, to train. And if it's repetitive or lacks challenge, the brain turns off and relies on those memory neurons to accomplish the task. How do you train to avoid losing your skills and continue to acquire new ones to grow? What is your, what is your advice to non-motorcyclists, motorcyclists, anyone for their life to constantly challenge to change? I, I would say I try to always be a little uncomfortable. I try to be afraid of something and uh, that pushes me. Like, it's okay to be comfortable for a while, but you know, every so often you just need to say, okay, this scares me or this intimidates me or uh, I'm not comfortable with this. And so I do it. And you know, what's interesting is when you do it, you go, wait, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> and, and then you're ready for the next thing. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to like associate it like a drug, but it's like, but it is like a little but more. It, it is because okay. dopamine releases in our brain. We have this reward system. We feel pleased about it and happy about it. We feel accomplished and we want to feel that more and more. And the only way to feel that more and more is to then go for another challenge. Right. Um, I, briefly, I'll just tell you real quick. We, we put these cars in the training facility when we built a dirt ramp on the front and the back. And at the end of most all the training, the last thing they do is they ride over these cars. And when you say you're going to ride that motorcycle over these cars, they, they just freak out. As did I when I was putting this together, but I built it because the idea is really when you look at a car, you're just going up over the hood, down. It's just a hill. That's all it is. Like if you covered it with dirt completely and, and it was wide enough, right? There's no what's so scary. It's just a little bump and you're over. 
<laughs> but when they see it's a car, they freak out, as did I. And when you ride over it, you just think, I just rode this motorcycle over a car. So I went from one car and then I needed a challenge. So I built myself a double car. You go from one car <laughs> to the next car. But there's nothing more rewarding than when the student at the last day rides over the, the cars and they just think they, they have this confidence about them. Like I can conquer the world and their writing improves their attitude and confidence, their attitude, their balance, all these things come around because they believe in themselves and they're more, they're breathing, they're more in one with the motorcycle, they're more in control and it's, it changes their riding. Thank changes you. Their life. <laughs> Thank it, you. That it is. Changes his riding and changes their life. I think that's the quote. Thank you so much, Jocelyn. This was so lovely to chat with you, to learn more about it and to really understand how motorcycling can be a life lesson as well and adventure riding specifically. For all of you listening, if seeing is believing, then look at Jocelyn. <laughs> Thank you. As it turns out, you can ride whatever bike you're dreaming about, no matter your size, no matter your discomfort. And let's be totally honest, this is a conversation about life. Don't let any limitations make you feel limited. We want you to feel limitless no matter your limitations. If you don't use it, you will lose it and keep challenging yourself because your brain absolutely loves it. Thank you, Jocelyn, again. And for all of you, we look forward to seeing you again on At The Core. Thank you.